It's a film with three brains. 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 Oh my god, you guys are freaks. Do you sell stamps? The stamps we have here are very rare, very expensive. How expensive? I'd like to see your most expensive stamp. Ah! One moment. Of the 100 of these stamps originally printed, this is the only known copy in existence. <laughs> I'd say the stamp he's bought is a considerable asset. He doesn't even understand the rules yet. Let's see him get out of this one. <laughs> Norris. Hmm? Hackensack Bulls. <laughs> Having a wonderful time. Wish you were here. Best wishes, Monty Brewster. God, it isn't an asset anymore. He's mailed it. Hello, and welcome to the film with three brains. This is Sean in Chicago. And this is Cohen in Maplewood, New Jersey. It's in San Francisco. <laughs> 8-bit Sam in San Francisco. Um, <laughs> yes. Cool. We are going to talk about... Brewster's Millions from 1985, directed by Walter Hill, which is an anomaly for him. Uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to say that this podcast, if you haven't heard us, which, you know, if you're living under a rock or something, uh, <laughs> we review movies from 1975 to 1999, kind of our childhood. That's what we're calling our childhood or whatever. That's our parameters. And uh, this one's right smack dab in the middle in our 80s wheelhouse. It's a comedy, which is weird for Walter Hill. Um, we've done hit, we've done a Walter Hill film called The Warriors, and that is a little bit funny, but it's not a comedy at all. And um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's weird to see the Rotten Tomatoes for Bruce's Millions at thirty five percent. And before I before I watched it again, I thought it was weird, and then I watched it again, and I'm still puzzled by it because. Um, uh, you know, I want to hear what you guys think, but generally I, I thought I'd still, I find it pretty enjoyable. Yeah. So I, you know, the critics, I mean, the audience is the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is like 50, 56 or something. Still not very good. So I'm not sure, you know, if, well, no, it, at the time it wasn't well received. So I, yeah, yeah, I don't get it. What do you guys, what do you guys make of this? So... I am a fan of Richard Pryor. Um, so for me, just seeing him again, I hadn't watched like a few years back. I listened to a few of the, a few of the things that he did and, um, you know, stand up comedy wise, but hadn't seen a movie of his in a while. So to me, like there was just the nostalgia factor that was, that was part of it. Um, yeah. I think the movie gets a little slow when he's running for office. They drag that part out a little too long some of those scenes without having the plot move forward and, and, and the humor isn't, isn't there for a little bit of it. But I think the, like the first half of the movie is just, it's pretty fast paced. It's enjoyable. It's still good. It's, I don't know. Um, the very end maybe feels a little rushed. So mm -hmm. that's me being critical. But if you, if I just step back and say, am I going to give it a 35 or a 55? No, I'm going to probably give it more like a 70. So nice. Maybe 75. I have no memory of watching this for the first time. I don't either. 
I know I've seen it, but yeah, I couldn't it's tell you. It's just one of those I'm... things you you see, you know, you've seen it a few times, and you're kind of like, oh yeah, that movie. But I can't remember. I, it must have been on video, even though it's PG. We could have seen it in the theater, but yeah, it wasn't really on our radar that you know when it came out. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I I know I've seen it, but it was like watching it for the first time. In fact, the only thing that rang a bell at all, really, was the scene when they're playing baseball and John Candy's like heckling the Yankees batters. <laughs> yeah. And the sequence where he says, you know, I saw your wife on t- TV. She sure is an ugly bitch. To the next one where the batters, he's, you know, don't don't talk to me like you did the other guy. And then he's like, well, it's not my fault. Have you seen his wife? And he goes, yeah, sure is an ugly bitch. I remembered that. <laughs> That's all. Ugly bitch. And then he hits a home run. I yeah. Think. Right. Yes. And in fact, I think I was probably if I, you know, before watching this, if someone said, hey, remember that scene where the baseball player says the thing about the wife? I would have thought it was from either Major League or Bull Durham. Mm-hmm. That had a very Major League feel to it. The baseball yeah. part of the, mm-hmm. the first part of it. I watched that and I thought, I wonder if someone looked at this. It was like, we should just roll with this, you know, yeah. like. Like a, the train I, I through know. the outfield and everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just it just felt like major league. Yeah, for for me, I you know as I said last time that the one thing I remembered was the stamp. You know that he bought the upside right. down. Right. Oh, you're right. I remember that too. That. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it came later. I thought it was like a a big final sort of reveal. Um, in 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 my mind, I was thinking it was like the last thing he does to get rid of his money, and they're all like ha ha ha, and then he's like. I mailed it. Suck it. Which clearly didn't really play out like that. Yeah, it was more like an opening shot. Yeah. You know, his first victory in the... Mm-hmm. Spent, what, $1.2 million or something? Yeah. And mailed it. Mailed that stupid stamp. But um, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. I, 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 I don't know if I'd give it 70. I'll give it 65%. <laughs> it was, I found it really... I found it charming. I didn't find it that... It wasn't that funny exactly. Mm-hmm. It was like amusing. I don't think I laughed though much. Yeah. Once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's for for me it was I, I like watching watching his face like watching Richard Pryor's face that kind of yeah nervous look that he gets you know <laughs> and <laughs> like he's he's in too far and he's not sure what he's doing. I, mm-hmm. I I love that look. Um, I really liked seeing um, John Candy. You know, I haven't, yeah. haven't uh, seen him in a long time either. Uh, <laughs> like for some dumb reason, when they're when they're going to meet the lawyers in the very beginning, when they get in the big uh, skyscraper and they wrap the elega- elevator, <laughs> like his shoes squeak. <laughs> like I'm like, who who decided that? <laughs> like, and why? You know. <laughs> Yeah. It's just all these random things. It's, it just, uh, you know, it's, just adds to his goofiness. Yeah. Overactive Foley artist, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, speaking of overactive, fo- fo- over, overactive Foley <laughs> artists, there was a couple of really cartoony sound effects I found mm-hmm. irritating. Yeah, me too. You know, like the slide whistle or whatever. Is, I, f- I think I remember two slide whistles. Yeah. One when he gets they're they're doing the decorating and he and uh, Warren gets knocked down knocked over. Yeah. And I was like, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And I, I think there's one in the baseball part, but I can't remember. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there was two. It was just it was very cool. Oh, I think it was his lollipop, you know, his last pitch and the to get the out mm-hmm. to win the game. 
it was i think that was a slide whistle too <laughs> right yeah <laughs> it's like oh, the, yeah 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 yes. he threw it 30 feet in the air and came, yeah came yeah down. that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah come on walter <laughs> yeah so i mean i think from the stuff i was reading i mean <clears throat> well first of all richard Pryor could have been in 48 hours um, I think that was, wow. you know, the, in, in development, um, Cohen might've mentioned this a while back or something, but, um, so he had a relationship with, well, I don't know if he had a relationship, but he was like going, going to work with him. He worked with Eddie and I think the studios were like, well, he worked with Eddie Murphy and that was pretty funny. So he can do this. Hmm. I don't think they're wrong, but 48 hours in this are pretty different movies. Yeah, Definitely. And uh, it also says that, you know, Walter Hill kind of admits that this is out of his, out of his depth and he kind of, you know, did it to, to have a hit to sort of, <laughs> or, you know, to make some, I don't, I don't know exactly what he admitted to. I think, I think it was, I think he just admitted to, to it being kind of a, a weird choice for him, but yeah, but it did make money, made twice its budget. I don't think it did it as well as they expected. I think it, they were expecting it to kill. Yeah. Well, I, um, John Candy and Richard Pryor at that time were pretty big stars, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Richard Pryor was huge. Yeah. Yeah. I think Candy signed on after he heard Richard Pryor was doing it and Walter Hill was directing. He's like, yeah, I'll do this. Mm -hmm. And then Walter s said that he would try to beef up the character for Spike, for for John Candy, but there wasn't a whole lot there, so he was kind of surprised that John Candy did it. Hmm. I mean, there's there's plenty. There's there's one review where it's like, well, John Candy has to repeat himself, and it's like, what? I mean, are you talking about the part in the escalator when he's just babbling after they find <laughs> out about the money? I mean, that's that sounded completely natural that he would repeat himself. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they were talking about something else, but. He is yeah. a double up. John Candy is? Yeah. Oh, shoot. Man. Yeah, he's in the Blues Brothers. Yep. Oh, of course. There's, quite a, there's at least four to five double ups <laughs> that, oh. I, that I noticed. I, there's so many, I wrote them down. And oh, you're, yeah? not, you're not even close. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Way more than that. Oh, man. <laughs> I miss John Candy. I'm writing John Candy down on my paper here. John Candy. I count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Wow. Holy cats. Well, yeah. By all means, enumerate them. <laughs> we might as well go into the double up section of our Yeah, we'll yeah, skip the, the plot synopsis entirely and we'll just skip the. Yeah, that's it, fine. Yeah. Uh, so, John Candy, you just mentioned Jerry Orbach, the coach. Mm -hmm. Do you know what, what he was in? I don't. No, he off was. Top of my head. I didn't either. I, I had to look that one up. Out for Justice. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Um, <laughs> The one there's a few that like they just looked so familiar. I'm like that's got to be one, and I look them up. And of course, it seemed like every time I looked one up, it it was mm -hmm. Peter Jason, the TV reporter, yeah. Action he's News. In they live. He's a triple up. Oh, he's a triple up. He's They Live and Dreamscape. Oh. Plays that dude called Babcock or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Um, and then you go into the diehards. You got the <laughs> right. the baseball right. player Grand L. Bush, right? Who's Agent Johnson? Yeah, yeah. That's the, I mean that's pretty obvious. Yeah, he's, he's a, got he's, that great line. I was in grade school, you dick or whatever. 
<laughs> so that one's pretty obvious, but the there's a journalist at the rally, and that's Matt Landers. Mm-hmm. And he is the captain in Die Hard. He's yeah. the police captain. He's he says, like, send in the car. Yeah, exactly. Send in the car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Do you guys want to, do you know any other ones before I list them all off here? Or? Well, there's, there's oh, Lynn, yeah. Lynn Shea, mm-hmm. um, who's in Pump Up the Volume. Uh, I'm, oh. I mean, she's in, she's in a ton of stuff, but she yeah. was in Pump Up the Volume. She's a triple up then, because she's also Nightmare on Elm Street. She's a nightmare in Elm Street. Yeah, she's a oh. she's the teacher in the dream sequence. Right, right. Or when he falls in, is it a dream sequence? Whatever. She's yeah. a teacher. Um, did you mention Pat Hingle? Yeah, I was just going to mention him. Oh, that's fourteen. He's Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> He's Commissioner yeah, Gordon. You're, count, you're counting Walter Hill. Oh, that's yes. fifteen. No, I didn't even write that one down. <laughs> that's fifteen. <laughs> So in other reviews, we review movies. In this movie, we just we just say <laughs> just where have these people been. Well, we we, we, we found our before. perfect six degrees of Kevin Bacon. This is yeah for this podcast, and it's it's Brewster's Millions. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, um, I can't take credit for Archie Han. Sam, you gave that one to to me before we started. We were talking about yes. Archie Han, and he was in Inner Space. Um. Wait. There. Not, what? Go ahead. Um, inner space. Have we done inner space? We have not done inner space. Oh. Oh, no, wait, you're thinking of. Um, I'm thinking of uh, dream. Dreamscape. dreamscape? Well, what is? Well, yeah. you said Archie Hunt was a double up. He's in Dreamscape. Okay, I just wrote down the wrong movie. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. How about Joel Weiss? He is a. Uh, he's the paparazzi paparazzo camera oh. guy. Oh. <clears throat> I, I never remember get this get this one. I remember recognizing him, but I couldn't uh figure out from what. He is Did I say this one already? The Warriors? Did I say a different one for the Warriors? Oh no, you didn't. He's he is in the Warriors. Yeah. He's And you did not say in he. the Rogue Gang. I didn't recognize that one. I I just found that one. Or the intern mm. said whatever. Um, <laughs> then there's uh, whatever, yeah, <laughs> Conrad Janice. Um, what is his character? Uh, he was in the cable guy, he's oh. a very small part in the cable guy. I can't right. even think of who he is now, Conrad Janice. He's so he's he's the dad. I, I I noticed that when we were watching it. So Conrad Janis plays the dad of Ben Stiller's character's kid child actor in the promo for the show when they're doing the news <laughs> segment about it. <laughs> yeah, and they show the two kids who are supposed to be young, you know, young uh, Ben Stiller's. And they have the karate yeah. uniforms on and they say, and he says something silly. Like, oh, okay, who yeah. did this? Yeah, right. Go, That's him. He did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, that's a that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but who is he in? in Your uh, brain works is insane. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, good job on that one. I, I couldn't think of that. So in Brewster's Millions, he was the the guy like the ambulance chaser who pretends to get hurt and oh, takes yeah. him, you know, for a thousand dollars or whatever. He's yeah. <laughs> like, "You're yep. Monty Brewster." <laughs> oh, I feel really poor health, and yeah, right, I can't remember yeah. what he says, but. I yeah. have two ex-wives. 
300,000. Okay. All right. So let's just finish up. The the one that was really bugging me was in the beginning, he's, there's a bailiff and um, oh, or, yeah. you know, like a cop. You know, the guy that says, okay, you, yep. you bozos are, are up to bat or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, his name his name is R.D. Call. And I, I swear that he usually has a mustache. I always picture him with a mustache. But I couldn't figure it out, and so I looked it up, and it's Waterworld. Yes. <laughs> that? Oh, that guy. Okay. Yeah. Right. I, when we were watching the movie, I recognized him. I was like, I know that dude, man. I know he's in something I've seen. What in the hell was it? It was I couldn't crazy. place it. <laughs> he's actually it in really a lot hard. of stuff, though. Yeah. Yeah. Because I recognized him, too, and I had to look him up, and I was like, oh, you know, Born on the Fourth of July, Young Guns, too, is like... 48 hours, you know, he's, he's mm-hmm. been in a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's the enforcer guy in Waterworld in the, fr- yeah. He's like the sheriff of their atoll. Yes. I think that's all the actors and you mentioned Walter Hill and then we've got, um, <laughs> the, uh, the cinematographer is Rick, Rick Waite. And yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> he did out for justice somehow. Hmm. Yeah. And pretty much nothing else. I mean, I mean some stuff, but like adventures and yeah. babysitting or something. I don't know. <laughs> and then Joel Silver, the producer, produced Die Hard among oh, a yes. thousand other action movies. That's number 16 then. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Which makes sense why there's a, you know, a handful of overlapping actors from Die Hard. Yeah, there's some some of that. There's some people that worked with Walter Hill before, mm-hmm. but I mean, Wait. some. Go ahead. You you missed one too. I'm sure. What? The screenplay was written by Herschel Wingrod, who also was a writer for Twins. <laughs> I actually didn't get to Eagle that one. Yes, River. but but they both are Herschel. <laughs> <laughs> Herschel Wingrod and Timothy Harris, both of the writers, are double ups. Huh. Um. They oh, both you were, were going to get to that. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, thought, he worked on Twins, too. They both did Twins. They both did, were writers on Twins, and, and they were both producers on Falling Down. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at that. I can't think of any... We didn't. I mean, we've done Falling Down uh, double-ups, I'm sure, but I can't think of any time we come across... I don't know, just a, like a crazy assortment of movies. It's all over the yeah. place. Hmm. I think that's all of them. Well, well, well. And then it was just crazy to see Rick Moranis. Yeah. Yes. Like, it's <laughs> the first Rick Mor- Moranis thing we've done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love his bit. Yeah. Like Walter King, the king it's of so pointless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so Yakov Smirnoff was in there, yes, too. that was yeah. the one I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said he felt like he was getting typecast. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, buddy. Think? It's like, well, that's your act. I mean, what do you expect? <laughs> I wonder if he was like, like, can I say, instead of saying what a country, can I say, what a great place? Or, you know. <laughs> no, he's like, no, you got to say what a country. You got to say what a country. America, what a okay. country. Um, so if you have never seen this movie, if that's possible, um, it is a adaptation of a book, a turn of the century book, um, and it's been ad- it's been made into a film 
a lot of times. I, it, I think Wikipedia says seven, but that's not counting. Um, you know, there's a couple of Bollywood versions or something, and <laughs> it's a lot. Wow. There's a lot. I mean, I I didn't think much of it until I until I saw. Well, I mean, a lot of them are like um, there's like there's ones a Cecil DeMille, um, ones um, you know there's 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 silent ones. There's a lot of them are early. Yeah, uh, I found one the the 1945 one, and I kind of skimmed through it just to see what what it was like. And it's the the premise is the same. It's it's um, I think they use one million and and seven million. Like he has to burn through one million dollars to get seven eight million, or he has to get eight million. Yeah, what yeah. one and eight. The weird part about that version is that his he is supposed to be married and he has to postpone the wedding. And somewhere in there, um, he mentions that, you know, he can't get married because his wife is an asset. So that hmm. is totally gross and, you know, ac- anachronistic. But <laughs> yeah, but that was there was totally serious. That wasn't like a joke. Well, unless they it. mean that she has money and by marrying her, they join their finances together and then he has money. I, I hope so. I hope that's what they meant. <laughs> but the rest of I mean, it was purely, you know, as most things in 1945 it was very you know there's three guys that just got back from the war and the, you know and he gets the, a phone call it's i don't know it's okay if i mean i i didn't find it amusing or the actors very good there was oh there was also like a uh, a black house servant named jackson he was probably the best part of it but it was weird that it was a black house servant and he was kind of part of it and then he becomes part of their he starts a company and and does the same kind of business deals and they're all worried about him. He gets like a musical going and they get a, a cruise ship and cruise down the coast. Um, and then, he, you know, he, so he tries to spend that money that way. And the end is even more abrupt than this version. It's like he, you know, they, they get there and he, and he finds the money, he gets the money and they're all, they're all kind of, talking over each other and like oh well here you know he gets gets the million and then you know five seconds later he's he's going out the door and there's this guy selling something and he's overcharging him by two cents and he, and he gets all pissed off of it he's like oh you're you know i'm gonna report you this is so the whole point was he learned the value of a dollar so mm. much so that he was quibbling over pennies all of a sudden and that was it that was you know credits hmm. so i don't know i didn't um. yeah I discovered one more. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know if we mentioned Joe Grafasi. I didn't. He's the guy who he hires to document the whole thing. Yeah, he's like, a big character. In, yeah, he was in Benny and June. Mm. Nice. 17 double ups. <laughs> and triple ups. Wow. I think that's going to be our record for quite a it's while. got to be. But yeah, I, th- I mean, the reviews are kind of, they're so um, nonchalant about it. Like, oh, this wasn't a very original adaptation. I'm like, well, you know, based on the one other version I saw, I, I'd i say it was pretty original. I mean, there's the stamp thing. Um, you know, the the backstory, I think, is plausible enough that he's like a, a minor league pitcher and he just, you know, doesn't really have any money and he doesn't really have anything. Yeah. I like that he's... <clears throat> the character is portrayed, I don't know, I guess smarter than 
maybe you would expect. He seems like, like Richard Pryor in this movie, he's pretty in tune with what he needs to do and how to do it as he's sort of outwitting people, you know, to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And it could have been, it could have gone, I could have easily gone the other way. And it could have all been sort of Forrest Gumpy, where it's not the character's sort of intention to succeed. It just happens by dumb fucking luck, you know? Yeah. Which would have annoyed me. I like that he mailed the stamp and things like that. There's a few moments like that where he's, you know, he's sort of ahead of everyone, even though he's, he, does, he doesn't realize he is, but he is, you know? There are people out to get him. He doesn't realize it, but he's still one step ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Which I liked. Yeah, he's got wherewithal. I, he's, I agree he, with that. Know. I I think that that um, that that is one of the things that make make him a likable character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know, looking at, at the other movies that he's done, you know, he's done some other remakes, and I think that I, I guess. It's when I think of it like the like bands like I hate it when a band has proven themselves to be a good band and then like on their third album all of a sudden they're like hit songs a remake like I'm like wait you already <laughs> proved me on your first couple albums you can make original music that's enjoyable so why in the world is your hit song off of your new album a remake and I think for Richard Pryor it's like here's someone who really established himself had done other movies had done stand-up comedy and then he's making this remake that right away that's a, a, a strike against him, I think, from a movie critic standpoint. And yeah. then to, to not have it be like, you know, as good as some of his older stuff, then it's like, well, why? Why did you do it? You know, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I, that I, I can see where the criticisms come from. I think if you if you are new to Richard Pryor and you watch this, you're going to be like, OK, I don't. He's enjoyable, but I don't see why he's so famous. Whereas I think if you go back and you watch Ace Ventura and you're like, well, I'm familiar with Jim Carrey, but I'm going to go back and watch Ace Ventura. You're like, holy cow, I get it. You know, like that's, <laughs> that's an incredible movie, yeah. you know, and everything he did to have that. So, you know, maybe some of it's the perspective and the expectation. Well, a lot of the com- or critiques were, were like, well, this is a screwball comedy without the screw screwballness you know and what they wanted it to be more silly and, and more hijinks and stuff and it's like well you know yeah he's done stir crazy he's done stuff like that he's done um i mean i think well what it, what i read was that he really liked the role he was one of his favorite movies richard Pryor's favorite movies because he got to act he didn't he didn't yeah. he wasn't just there to be funny he was do, he was playing a character Mm-hmm. And he really liked that. And, I, and that made a lot of sense to me because I think that, I mean, you know, he's funny, but he wasn't, well, first of all, he has to be PG and he's, you know, he's notoriously not PG in his standup. You know, he's, yeah. Um, so, so you could say, oh, that's a, it's working against him. He's, you know, he's got one hand tied behind his back, but I don't think that's it. I think it's that he, you know, he, he, you know, he still alluded to, like, tawdry stuff or whatever you want to say. You know, like, he, there's still, the, the character still likes to drink and pick up women. And, you know, he's still, you know, he's not clean or anything. He's, 
but he's just trying to react the way he thinks he should react in in most scenes. I think he's just trying to like he doesn't do very much at all when he's watching the video of uh, his great uncle Rupert Horn or whatever it is. He's sort of um, you know he just yeah he's in shock. As Sam was saying, he's like he's good at doing that those reactions sort of like uh, not you know. But I mean that's I would I would I would it would be weird if he if he was overacting. Yeah. You know, just to be to try and make every scene funny. It would be really it would really ruin it, I think. Yeah. And it would totally ruin sort of the end when it starts getting more serious and the the, the election stuff and you know, he's going through his rough times like you you know, he can't be silly all the time. And I I think what I was thinking about some of the time was that it's good to see him, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I assume completely sober as an actor. I mean, you know, if you watch Harlem Nights, which I love, and he's he's good in that too, and I mean, he's a, he's a huge part of that, um, but he's still, at that point, he's still struggling with heroin and stuff, and he's, and you can see in his performance, you can see that he's not really there. Yeah. And in this, he's completely there. He's completely, you know, looks alive in every in every scene. So I don't know if that's fair, you know, great amount of curve or something for just <laughs> being being sober. But I mean, this is only a little while after he set himself on fire and stuff. You know, like you know, this he's got a up and down history, of course. Right. What was the st- what was the story of that? Um, what was he on at the time? I don't, I don't remember exactly. I don't know if it was cocaine or, uh, something. He was on drugs. He had a bunch of, like, high-proof rum. Um, something possessed him to pour the rum on his clothes and set himself on fire. And he was running down the street on fire. I, I don't know if someone put him out or something, but, I mean, then, you know, if, you, if you've seen some of his stand-up, he, he jokes about that. Yeah, that's the end, I think, of the live on Sunset Strip when he yeah. does that joke. Yeah, um, that's great. Yeah, he was that. he was using cocaine and then drinking 151 proof rum when he did that. Did he ever say, like, this, you know, voices told him to do it or he or he just it just he just decided to do it or something? Um, I, <laughs> I guess it doesn't really matter. <laughs> he survived. That's know. the important part. Yeah, and then Walter Hill said something about like he was worried that he wouldn't be funny without drugs, but then he thought if he did drugs he might die. So he was sort of <laughs> riding that tightrope. <laughs> huh. he, he was probably just being funny with Walter Hill too. I think I don't think you know. Yeah. But yeah, this. I mean, there's something about the fact that he's cast in this movie. I mean. It goes without saying the 1945 version, they were all white, you know, uppity, tall, good-looking white people, and uh, I think there is a version with it's like uh, somebody else's. Like most of them are Brewster million, Brewster's millions. But one is Miss Brewster. Hmm. Um, I don't know, I can't remember all the versions of it, but um, they could have done it with John Ritter. I think that would have been, a, I think that was Peter Bogdanovich or something. Really? Before it went to Walter Hill. Hmm. Yeah, they talked about John Ritter. Interesting, but not, I don't think it would have been as good. Yeah. 
Also not really known for comedies, Peter Bogdanovich. I think that's the name. Um, he directed The Last Picture Show. And, yeah. Um, a bunch of stuff. Nothing terribly hilarious, though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, unless I'm misremembering, but uh, maybe I just never saw any of, the, of his comedies. And there was somebody else considered for the, the female lead, but I can't think of who it is now. Did anyone read mm-hmm. that? I, I assume that would have been if, if John Ritter had been on it. Actually, no, that's not true. It was, it was, um, what's, uh, what's her name? It's the actress that plays Miss, <laughs> I can't think of her. I, I, I got all these, this huge list of names. I can't think of any of them. <laughs> You're talking about Lynette McKee? Is, is Lynette McKee. Meaningless yeah, now, it's just all a bunch of names. <laughs> it's just gibberish now. I can't even think. Yeah, so I think he had worked with her in something else. Uh, Richard Pryor had worked with her. But there was a a white actress that was considered. I don't know. It's... it's, Suffice to say, it wouldn't have been as good either, I don't think. (laughs) I can't make my point very well without knowing who the hell I'm talking about, but (laughs) oh well. Yeah, what are you going to do? You know, you mentioned, Sean, earlier about how Richard Pryor's stand-up is very different than the character he plays in this, Mm -hmm. which reminded me, um, I've always been continually fascinated by the difference between um, stand-up comedians and, like, the things they're most known for and how common it is. Particularly someone like Bob Saget always comes to mind. Oh, yeah. oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, Full House is just, you know, it's Full House. It is what it is. It's, I think it's ridiculous and not in a good way. Wholesome? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, wholesome. But then his stand-up is anything but. And it's fascinating because his stand-up is funny. You know, he's funny. Obviously, yeah. he's funny. He they funny. wouldn't have given him a show if he wasn't funny. And that's the thing. Um you know, I guess um, Jerry Seinfeld, I, I think of him sometimes, too, because his stand-up and that show are very different as well. Mm-hmm. And like, Not as far off, though. <laughs> not as far off, no, but just that, you know, or like Ray Romano or someone. You know, people are like, well, I don't really like Ray Romano because I don't like that sitcom he was on. Well, that's just one thing he did, you know. Same with Jerry Seinfeld. Like, people are like, I don't really like Seinfeld, the show, so I don't like Jerry Seinfeld. Well, have you ever seen a stand-up? No. Well, then what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, like you've never seen the thing he's best at. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I, I'm always interested in that because it, it seems like most people these days aren't really in tune to stand up comedy. People yeah. I talk to, like, I love it. I, I listen to it or I watch it a lot as much as I can. But I don't know a whole lot of people who do. Besides me. Besides you. Um, I think, well, the other thing, too, is for Richard Pryor, his most accessible um, stand-up comedy is the, is the live on Sunset Strip, yeah. in which he is a lot less comedy, and he's just talking about, like, how 
you know, he spends a good amount of time, like being honest about how screwed up his life is. And, Mm -hmm. and and so you don't even get the sense of who he is because the early stuff is audio only. It's harder to find. I mean, he, he, you know, in the, in in the seventies. Yeah. I think I mentioned at one point that we had a, uh, my older sister and I had a, uh, cassette tape of Richard Pryor and we couldn't even get through side one before it was confiscated. So <laughs> it was, you know, life ruined. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it when we were kids listening, listening the hell out of Eddie Murphy's, uh, audio oh, delirious. Of, of yeah. Delirious or comedian. It was, I mean, same, it's the same show, but it was called comedian first. And then when they released it later, it was, they called it delirious. Okay. But it's the same. Yeah. But yeah, listening yeah. to that over and over and over and over. Actually, Eddie Murphy is sort of, I think, is sort of the exception to the what I was just saying in that, you know, his first couple of films, um, 48 Hours in particular, and, you know, Beverly Hills Cop, are very, in, in very in, you know, sort of very tonally in line with his stand-up, I think. Hmm. You know? To a certain yeah, degree. Yeah. <laughs> Far more than, than a lot of people's. But, I mean, those are movies and not sitcoms you know of course it's going to be different yeah right and eddie murphy's you know multi-talented i think he just yeah he's kind of an anomaly himself just sure he was actually according to paul mooney and one one thing i read was he was on the set as a guest of john candy which was kind of weird because you know he could have just come on as you know he worked with walter hill or whatever you know but um According to Paul Mooney's, I think it was his biography or something. I don't know. Um, he's <laughs> John Candy was worried that that Richard Pryor didn't really like him. Didn't he's like, like didn't like John Candy. Oh, according to Paul, this is all according to Paul Mooney. So I don't know if this is actually true or not. But um, and <laughs> I guess Paul Mooney was like, no, no, no. He, oh, he loves it. It's great. And he like kind of talked him off. And then he said. He uh, he hated that guy, <laughs> or something along those lines. Like, I don't. I mean, Paul Mooney's trying to write a funny book, so I'm sure he wanted to think of the funniest mm-hmm. scenario. But there must have been some truth to that. I don't. I didn't see a lot of chemistry. I didn't see any problems. I don't think there's a real. Yeah. You know, I don't think they didn't work well together. I think it was just more like. I think Richard Pryor, Pryor probably rolled his eyes a few times. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe I just thought, thought like. Go ahead. What do you think? I thought you were going to say he didn't like Eddie Murphy because Eddie Murphy has spoken of it that there was there was a rivalry there. Richard Pryor didn't really like Eddie Murphy. And oh. Eddie Murphy had no idea until until they did Harlem Nights. He didn't know that that was going on because to, for him, for Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor like was like an idol. You know, was his idol. Oh yeah, loved him. But Richard Pryor didn't like Eddie Murphy, and he th- and Eddie Murphy either deduced or he or Richard probably told him or somehow they came to the understanding that the reason he didn't like him was because what it comes down to is he was threatened by him I guess yeah that makes sense or you know they were it was a rivalry I guess or something you know and Eddie Murphy has said I've heard him say that at that time in the 80s there was only there really was only room for like one (laughs) black star it's kind of true you know yeah you know, for a while it was this person, then it was this person, and then he said it was Richard, and then he said it was me. Mm-hmm. And 
And he said, that's just the way it was. And, and Richard Pryor kind of hated him for that, even though it's not his fault. Yeah. Yeah. That makes more sense than disliking him as a person or as a... Right. Yeah. And this is 85, so this is before Mur- Eddie Murphy. I mean, Eddie Murphy's big, but he's not he's not big as a movie star yet. Not really. Because well, like 48 Hours is like his first film. Yeah, but it was a gigantic hit and made him a huge star. Right, but I mean, Beverly Hills Cop, what was that, 86? When, well, when did 48 Hours come out? I thought that was like 82. 82. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it's all about the same time. But I'm just saying that I think Richard Pryor is passing the torch at this time to, yeah. Eddie, to Eddie Murphy. Right. You know, he, I would, it sounds like he didn't, he didn't want to. He didn't want to. Well, and I think that might be why... Which makes sense. Why would you yeah, want to? Right. You know? I was thinking that might be the friction between him and John Candy, too, is that John Candy gets gets more lines written for him. He gets to come up, you know, gets to have a big part. Really, the movie's not about him at all. Um, yeah. So he probably just felt like maybe you're stepping on my toes a little bit. Uh, who knows? Who knows? But I, but the only guy that, that Richard Pryor definitely liked working with and was really good with was Gene Wilder. Yeah. I mean, sure. There are two peas in a pod. Yeah. I, I've watched a really, I've watched some really bad movies with, with them in it. <laughs> I mean, I like seeing, I'm not talking about seeing no evil here, no evil. I think, I think that's pretty decent. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about the one after that called another you. Oof, I don't think I saw that. I mean, it's not good in any sense that it's not good, but they, but the two I'll, but I watched it because it's those two, you know, doing their shtick and yeah. playing, you know, being ridiculous. And mm-hmm. I'm there for that. Sure. I, I watched terrible movie. Yeah. Stir crazy. Yes. <laughs> Stir crazy. Uh, Silver bullet, I think was them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you like who you, I mean, you, yeah, that's, I think there's a difference between liking someone and, and being able to work with them or really wanting sure. to work with them. Hmm. So, um, Netflix does have Richard Pryor live in concert, one of the a 1979 one hmm. that um, that Eddie Murphy does uh, does love. He sa- he says that's a you know he, he thinks that one's a great great stand up show. So that is on Netflix this month. Ooh, yeah, that's a time. And plug. for the Eddie Murphy fans, Eddie Murphy Raw is on Netflix right now. Hmm. Nice. Yes. You said Eddie Murphy Raw is on? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't listened to Raw in a long time. Raw is a good title for that because some of the jokes he tells are pretty raw in 2022. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not... That's okay. It's okay, yes, because we've talked about this. You know, it's... it's. He was doing it in the 80s. I've read, and... I've read, I've read a few things about Eddie Murphy, like interviews with him where he's discussed sort of the content of his old stand-up and I, it makes him cringe. Yep. No, that's good. Yeah. Good sign. Un- understandably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I've read similar stuff where it says what this that you're that you're you're making jokes that make people laugh at that time. So the people themselves are kind of deciding where the line is. The audience mm-hmm. decides what the, what's funny and what's not. And in those days, all of those jokes were fine. All the gay jokes, all that <laughs> stuff, they were you know, past muster, you know, that, <laughs> I mean, not for everyone, obviously, but I'm saying that 
at the time we were we were condoning that by watching this yeah. stuff. Well, comedy is a reflection of society. Yeah. Otherwise, it doesn't connect. So. Deep. Is this, is this... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, can kids watch this movie? Yeah, it's PG. Sure. Right? I think so. It's pretty innocent. I yeah. mean, I think it's, it's... They probably want to watch something a little more fun. yeah i mean i i kind of i kind of like that about it it's it's somewhat wholesome i don't know i found it charming Mm -hmm. you know i watched it and i thought even though this movie's been remade like 18 other times i was like they could still remake this yeah you know there's still there's something that there's enough ways to mine the clever ways to mm-hmm. for the fun you know the fun and games part of this movie yeah and to try to you know to have someone try to trick them out of it like it all still works sure especially you know? a story that's so dependent on the time mm-hmm. like yeah how, you know the way someone spends so many millions of dollars in 1970 versus 1980 versus 1990 versus 2000 versus 2010 versus 2020 is always gonna going to be different yeah oh <laughs> versus 2050 versus oh, 3000 no, there is no money what then would what? you what would the uh <laughs> what would the the dollar amounts be now would it be like 300 million and three billion? Like a billion and 30 billion yeah <laughs> but i mean the, the premise yeah. is the same that you can't have any assets or anything to show for it mm-hmm. you can't buy stuff right you gotta buy services. I mean, they, they, the rules are a little loosey goosey. <laughs> are they? Yeah, because you know how much he pays someone is totally arbitrary. They just claim he has to get value for his money. Well, right. He could have. I mean, he but I think he was still being fair because he could have been like the first guy, his his security guard. He would have been like, "Okay, I'm paying you twenty nine million dollars for the next month." You know, right, right. <laughs> and then I'll figure out the rest. Oh, but, that, you know. that reminds me. There was like. There was, I don't know if you call it a loophole, but there was something they don't really address that I thought I found very interesting. And that's the part where John Candy makes him $10 million. Mm -hmm. You know, he says 10 million, 10 million, 10 million. (laughs) So that, so I was thinking like, so they don't really address this in the rules, but if you take, if, if you take that $30 million and you spend it all, but in the course of spending it, you make other money on the side, but you still spend that initial thirty million. Do you still win or do you lose? Like, is it? No, that was the whole well, thing. You can't have because yeah, you can't have any net worth from that. It's no, oh, yeah, yeah, you that's can right. gamble five percent of it, which he did, but he won on that too. You know, he couldn't. <laughs> right, he won. That's he right. hit the long shots. He, you know, Loyola, Loyola won in field hockey, so he, you know, those are all backfires. Right. But those are, yeah, but that, that would have been fine. If he had lost money gambling, then that's, that's fine. So I was just, I was just wondering like today there, there is pro I don't know shit about business and investing. I'm awful with money, but there's gotta be a way to take $30 million and spend it and have nothing to show for it. But then a couple years down the line, it makes you money. <laughs> mm. I don't think so. No, because you have something that's worth. I mean, uh, yeah, I guess you invest you, it, some, get in some something Bitcoin. that 
that has no <laughs> return for several years. Right, but then you still have that share. That so be, the share would ha- the share price would have to be zero. Like the, well, the, if the share price of something was zero, then yes. If you're like, hey, I bought <laughs> shares in a company that went bankrupt and the shares went to zero. Right. Um, but then the company would cease to exist. They yeah. wouldn't bring those, give those shares. I back. was thinking not necessarily shares, just like investing in like a a startup let's say where or it's not stock based i don't know yeah. i don't know my, my, my brain was thinking it would be a funny button on the end of a remake where it says five years later you know yeah and after having forgotten all about it you know he the main character gets this alert that he's actually worth twice as much as he thought or something silly like that i don't know well, I mean, that's the whole thing is that he, he, he tries to fund all these people. And if he funded someone who, if he just gave the money, you know, he can give 5% away, right? Yeah. If mm-hmm. he gave the 5% to someone without having any agreement and that person took the 5% and turned it into, you know, a company that was successful, he could definitely get it back. Yeah. Later. But... You're trying too hard. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not cheating, you're not trying. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> you know, the, well, one of the things that puzzled me even now was the none of the above uh, slogan. Mm-hmm. And in the trivia, it says that that's an actual thing. Did you guys read that? IMDb trivia says it's if it's used in jurisdictions and organizations or it can be used to give a voter who opposes all choices to indicate their disapproval. So they can, you know, they can withhold their consent or something. I don't know. I mean, it's because I was I was I was trying to think of what it looked like. in the Like you just didn't put anything on the ballot. But I guess you would Mm -hmm. actually write in none of the above. It would be a write in. But it's a, but well, I, I didn't know it was a real thing is what I'm saying. I thought of another, I had one, I thought it was really, sorry, I'm sort of tangenting. I thought it was smart to run for office. Yeah. To spend money. Great way to spend money. Yeah. And then to pull out of the race at the end, you know, or to lose either way. But well, then that's I also I was, thought, but did he, he didn't, did he? He pulled out. He pulled out for sure. Yeah, because he was mm-hmm. going to win. But that's what I'm saying. I don't think he was going to win because I think oh, no? if they truly voted for none of the above. Well, no, I know, but they actually. I think, they didn't I think get his it? point. I think his point was that people started were going to vote for him. They were going to vote for him. Okay. Instead of none of the above, but okay. then he pulled out, and then they did all vote for none of the above because he pulled out. Oh, gotcha. That makes that's that's better. <laughs> but I was wondering so. When I was thinking about that, I was wondering, would it adhere to the rules if he had invested all his money in a $30 million million movie that was never released? Yeah. You know, if it was just like, if he just ended up with a digital file on his computer of a film, or even never edit it. There you go. You know, or... uh, It's just... It's just but digital. Is, is owning See, the film, owning something. Well, he can't right. Well, I mean, watch, in 1986, you know, even a shirt on your back. <laughs> right. In 1985, there would be actual film, but if they remade it today, there wouldn't be. It's just information on a computer. 
<laughs> so I, I started wondering, is that a way? Like, right. You just make a movie. You don't. You don't release it. You really know. just can't spend the money to get the other money. You gotta. You gotta try to <laughs> sneak something through. <laughs> No, that's true though. If you if you did this I, in today's day and age and you you're like, okay, I'll buy three, four Bitcoin or whatever, you know, or hundred Bitcoin, whatever it takes, and yeah. then the the blockchain on your computer. If your computer gets destroyed, then you don't have the key to that blockchain anymore. But again, yeah, it's a loophole. It's not a real. Is, and also, is that a loophole if you buy something expensive and destroy it? <laughs> yeah, they said that with the. Well, they said you can't like the yeah, Picasso right. oh. payment. Yeah. Okay. Actually, one of the bloopers, or the, or not bloopers, but the, the su- supposed goofs, one one person said, "Oh, that that whole stamp thing was crap because you can't destroy anything inherently valuable," and then someone else said, "No, no. It's you know because it's a stamp, it's doing what it's, it's intended for." Yeah. Which made Once sense. Once you mail it, it's no longer yours, right? Right. The you're rules not, were. You're not giving it away exactly. Right. You're. You're using it. Yeah. Yeah. For its intended purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Seemed pretty smart to me. So the um, the author of the original book, George Barr McCutcheon, died in 1928, hmm. which means the book is technically in public domain. What? The movie can be made. Yeah, 75 years after the author dies, it becomes public domain. So the book is in public domain. So the book can be rewritten or a movie made for free. <laughs> well, what? you don't have to pay the family. <laughs> yeah. Which is I, interesting because 1985 was, I wonder, oh, it was right. probably. F- Free then, yeah, I bet, because the rule was not seventy-five years. They extended the rule when Disney paid off Congress in the nineteen nineties, so that it would put Mickey Mouse into copyright for longer. Ha! Ah. Bastards. That's just speaking of trying to get away with something. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Want to know what we're doing next? Yeah. Me too. <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> okay. So I was going to go a totally different direction, but instead I found myself looking at what's new on Netflix and Amazon Prime this month that you can stream. Hmm. Okay. So there is a very famous movie from 1987 that is now streaming. On uh, on Netflix, and the director, I believe, is someone we've talked about before. Um, but if I give a single clue about this movie, yeah, he's a double up. The director is he? Yep, the director is a double up. And uh, who else is a double up? Anyway, he's uh, a double up from a 1990s movie. And his first name is Joel. <laughs> oh. Uh, Schulmacher? Yeah. Okay. 
I don't give Conan about three seconds. Is it um, the Lost Boys? Yep. Oh. <laughs> cool. Nice. I haven't seen it in ages. I mean, I know I've watched it a few times way back when, but, um, you know, 80s, 90s. Yeah. But it was like, okay, this is such a good movie, and it's, it's never streaming. And uh, it's like, now it is. Going for it. Yes. If you just said no, my next and uh, guess would have been Flatliners. Oh, okay. but um, um, I can I can remove Lost Boys from my list now. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> I've almost picked it several times. That's all right because I had to remove April Fool's Day from my list. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow, cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously we can't get into it, but I love Lost Boys. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It's you know you got you need a gold standard movie every now and then. I mean I don't say yeah. gold standard, but you need yeah, a good one. I could have given away other ways. It's like Tim Roth references it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm watching the fucking Lost Boys. <laughs> um, real quickly, because we forgot the the music was done by Ry Cooter. Uh, who works with Walter Hill a lot. He's a famous guitarist. He's worked with everybody. And pretty, uh, is, is that one name? Is it it's Rye? Rye? It's, Cooter? it's short for Ryland. Ryland yeah, Cooter. Yeah, first name is yeah. Cooter. Huh. And he's a f- guitar blues guy. He's, he's worked with Stones. He's, he's, he's worked with everybody. And he's done a lot of uh, composing stuff. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't have much else to say about it. I think it was pretty good. Me. Yeah. There were a couple moments I was like, "Oh, that's 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 a you know like when he when they kind of stroll in and there's the third all thirty million dollars there and it's sort of like this mm-hmm. a subtle I don't know I don't I don't think it stands out but I think that's kind of the point is that sometimes you don't want the music to do too much yeah it was good mood I guess good background mood good job Rye way to go and good job us. This has been our best review. <laughs> right at the top. It's definitely our best Richard Pryor review. Oh, yeah. <laughs> our best Richard Pryor, our best Rick Moranis, our best... Uh, that's about it. Everything else. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> best Yakov Smirnov. All right, that's enough movie buff. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> this concludes our broadcast day. See you. Thanks for listening. That's the fun with your brains. Is this thing rolling?